to me, I would rather look silly for a moment and achieve great things than never look silly and never achieve anything. Everybody's in the same boat. Nobody just picks up a new skill looking smooth and suave with it. No one walks into a room and is instantly an amazing kickboxer. It just doesn't happen. Hey guys, welcome or welcome back to the Uncomfortable is OK podcast. I'm your host, Chris Desmond, and this is a show where we make it easier for you to get out of your comfort zone. Today, I've got a pretty sweet guest for you. Her name is Kai Ferno. Kai is an Aussie lass. She's an outdoor guide. She's a TV host. She's a survival expert. She's an author and she's a stunt person who's appeared in over 50 films and in TV productions. And one of the impressive things about Kai is that when she was 19, she was involved in a pretty bad car accident where she ended up breaking her back and was told that, hey, she's not going to be able to go out and do the adventurous stuff that she likes to do or play sport ever again. But as you guys will pick up from my chat with Kai, this didn't particularly sit well with her. So she went went about proving people wrong. So much so that in 2012, she was awarded the Taurus Stunt Award. Uh, which is basically the Oscars of the stunt industry for the best female stunt performer in the world for that year, which is uh, is pretty impressive. Kai is great to chat to, and today we talk through adventure, we talk through excitement, we talk through taking on a challenge, and, and we really talk through shaping your own life. And I first came across Kai on a couple of podcasts that I'd listened to, and I was like, this lady is someone that I definitely need to talk to. And as she says at the end of the chat, reach out to her. She is she's very open and getting in touch with people and or sending some messages, which is just what I did. Now, you guys have probably heard me talking about some of the stuff that's coming up for Uncomfortable is okay, and, and that's in the pipeline, which is cool. But something that I thought you guys might like at the moment is I've just put together a few a few strategies of how to go about getting out of your comfort zone. Created a little bit of a document around that. So if you guys head over to getoutofmycomfortzone.com, that's getoutofmycomfortzone.com, you can download that document of some of the strategies that I use and some of the strategies that my guests use to get out of their comfort zones. But with that said, I hope you guys enjoy getting uncomfortable with Kai and I today. Kai Ferno, welcome to the Uncomfortable is OK podcast. Thank you so much for sitting down for a chat with me today. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Kai, can you give me and the listeners a little bit of background about yourself, say where you're from, where you grew up, and were there any kind of formative experience that have shaped you as a person that you had when you were growing up? Well, I grew up my early childhood in a tiny sort of little outback town in the north of South Australia. So my parents were teachers at one of the schools there, and I think population was about 200 people all up, and there was maybe 15 kids in the school, like the entire school. So it was a really cool sort of way to grow up. It was very wild and free, and, you know, the kids would – head off on a weekend and just head in a direction and the parents would find you by the dust trail to come and bring you lunch and things like that. Like it was a really free, adventurous sort of beginning to my life. Then we moved to a little bit bigger town down in southeast of South Australia and, you know, I was able to have a horse and we had a bit of property. So, again, I still had this amazing freedom to get outside and and be a bit wild. Eventually we moved to the big smoke, so Adelaide, the capital of South Australia, for my 
last couple of years of schooling. And um, that was a bit of a different experience for me, but one that probably was necessary. Like I think I probably would have failed my schooling had we not moved into the city and sort of put a bit more focus on it. Why do you think you would have failed? I just wasn't meant for the school system. People had the, you know, ADHD labels and all that sort of thing these days. And I don't know if I would have fitted in that category, but I definitely know that the traditional sort of school method and subjects weren't working for me. Okay, interesting. So moved to Adelaide and so things changed a little bit in terms of the the schooling there for you? Yeah, but it was a good thing. Like I went to a private school and sort of, you know, saw saw a different side of the world and life and learnt experiences there and, and really sort of solidified who I was from growing up in the country by having to then sort of move around in the city. So it was interesting. And then I went on to do, I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life, you know, and my sister had done a Bachelor of Business Management and that was working for her. My mum was sort of like, off you go, maybe go and do that as well. And so I was part of the way through that And I was about 19 and definitely on the wrong track in my life, I feel, but just sort of not knowing what other direction to take. Then one Friday evening, I was in a car as a passenger going down the freeway there in South Australia and the car spun out of control and went into a concrete pole at about, I don't know, 60k an hour and I ended up breaking my back. Goodness. That's pretty full on. What happened from there, Kai? Like, you're in the vehicle, you're, did you know you had a broken back? I'd just been reading this Reader's Digest article about car accidents and back injuries, and I heard a crack. Like, I still remember it very distinctly. And I also was very close to smashing my head on the dashboard of the car, but I managed to get my arm up just in time and sort of braced. So I didn't have head injuries, but I definitely remember the back cracking and thinking like, okay, I'm done some damage to my back and you know there was petrol going everywhere and people were freaking out and everyone's screaming like get out of the car and all this sort of thing and I just remember being really calm in that moment and just sort of as everyone was screaming at me I'm like you know what I I think I've done some damage to my back I'm just gonna sit here you know so like when I look back on it now I feel like there was this storm going on all around me and I was just sitting in the middle of it pretty calm about the whole thing but also very determined just to sort of look after myself and what I felt had happened. Goodness, I mean, that that's quite a significant presence of mind in that situation to actually just be able to sit there and say, no, I mean, there's, there's dangerous stuff going on, but actually, please don't, don't move me. Obviously, that's kind of, that was the right call in the long run. But what did the doctors say about that when, when you finally got to hospital? You know, that I think I was too calm because, like, the ambulance and the nurses and all that, they just didn't believe that anything was actually wrong with me. They were all sort of like, oh, she says she felt her back go, but look at her, you know, like she's all – like I had my sister's favourite jacket on that I'd borrowed for my date that night, you know, and they were going to cut it off me because that's what you have to do with back injuries. And I'm like, don't cut it off me. <laughs> my sister will kill me. Like I was more worried about what my sister would think than, than anything else that was going on. And it wasn't really until the doctor came into the room after the x-ray and sort of said, well, you know what, you've broken your back. It's in the best possible place to break your back, but you've broken your back. And I just remember thinking, well, at least I did it in the, in the best possible place. And then, and then I said, well, what does that mean? And he said, well, you know, you'll never be physically active. We'll never play sports again. You know, you won't be physically active again. And I was like, what, what does that mean? He's like, well, do you play tennis? 
And I said, yeah. He said, well, you won't be able to play tennis again and you probably won't be able to do running and you won't carry a baby to full term. You know, that's sort of the three main points I remember him making. And I just remember in the moment, you it's just like time freezes for a second and, you know, I had a single tear sort of ran down one side of my face. And then I thought, like, even in that moment, I thought, no, no, that doesn't sound like what the rest of my life is going to look like. Why do you think that you had that response? Well, I think part that was me, like mum and dad said I came out, not no was. You know, I mean, I think, I think a lot of kids go through that phase, but I don't think I left that behind, you know. Like, what do you mean no? But I want to. <laughs> I don't think I'd ever let anybody sort of define what I wanted to do previously but I was also very fortunate that, you know, my parents were very positive role models growing up and had always said to me, you know, you could do and be whatever you want to do and be. And so I think I just had that so firmly ingrained in my head that when someone presented a future for me that just didn't feel like it fit as to who or what I wanted to be, I just rejected it immediately. Yeah, I mean, this is a, it's a fascinating topic to talk about, actually, in terms of your, your recovery from that. I mean, we were talking just before how my day job, I work as a physiotherapist, and it's interesting the messages that some people get from health professionals around sort of their ability to recover and kind of how that goes on and, and, and shapes people as well. Because, I, I mean, I've had people come and see me and I'll ask them to sort of bend over and pick something up and they won't do it. They'll just kind of stand completely straight I'll ask them I'll say what what's going on why why can't you bend forward and eight or ten years ago someone told them that bending forward was dangerous so they've never they've never gone about and done that and it's you've kind of interpreted or you've you've taken on that that message and you've decided that you have disagreed with it and then gone to kind of set about proving that wrong yeah and I mean you know, and we've come so far with medicine nowadays. I know they don't even, I don't even think they brace a person when they have the back injury that I had. I think they get them moving straight away. So it was just that old, you know, like, well, I've got to give the person the worst case scenario because I don't want them you know, to come and sue me if it doesn't get better. But the problem with the human psyche is that we, you know, we acknowledge these people are probably professionals in their field from all the study that they've been doing. And therefore, they must know my future, you know. But the thing is that everybody's different. Like, everybody is different and, and everybody's different. But you can't predict how someone is going to recover faced with an injury or even any kind of both physical and mental condition, you know, where, where the human body is so complex and so wired differently from everything that's happened to us from the second we come out of the womb that, you know, it's very hard to predict how somebody is going to respond in, in any case scenario. So, you know, I kind of get that they had at that stage to give me the worst case scenario but one of the reasons I talk to so many people is because people come up to me and say yeah I had that injury too and I've never done anything with my life and my back is so sore that I can't do anything now you know so they spent 40 years of their life listening to that diagnosis and did nothing whereas I was just fortunate I was a stubborn little kid you know like mum and dad always said that if they told me no I'd just stick my chin out and be like you know what I'll show you and that was from the time up two or three so 
you know, I was just fortunate that I was hardwired that way from when I came out and, and just thought, nah, you know what, that that doesn't sound right. And I also was very, very in tune with my body. Like I think being a physical person, you sort of learn the difference between good pain and bad pain and that allows you to move forward from there because much like you say about the bending down thing, so often in life people say, oh, if it hurts, don't do it. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like if it hurts, like there's good hurt. There's hurt that shapes you and forms you and molds you and makes you better, you know, like that kind of pain and hurt. But if you work through it and push through it, then then that can be the greatest asset to you in your future. Exactly, yeah, yeah. And I mean that's that's kind of what this this podcast is all about is is pushing through that bit of that hurt. And I mean, as you say, there's good hurt and there's there's bad hurt as well. And I mean sometimes the bad hurt does happen, but I think as well we can learn from that too. And that that can kind of shape us as a as people as well. When we get stuck in those kind of in those really tough situations or we we have an injury that actually we can kind of focus on building up other skills in that time because I mean breaking your back the acute pain that you felt there was that's the bad kind of hurt that we're we're not particularly after but you utilize that bad hurt to do a whole lot of other interesting things as well and kind of build skill sets around that that that's the beautiful thing about hindsight you know the worst moments of everybody's life I think if they looked back they would actually be pretty grateful that they happened I mean, I don't think I've met anyone that went, you know, that was really shit and I still think that was shit and I don't think I'd ever want that. (laughs) I mean, maybe it's just the people I hang around with. I mean, sure, there are some really bad things that happen and you wish they never did, but everything that's really bad that's happened in my life has put me in this moment and who I am today and where I've got to and what I've achieved. Like, I don't know what my life would have been like if I hadn't broken my back. From that moment, I decided that I would live every day to its absolute max because you never know what's going to happen. I know that's cliche. People say they have a near-death experience. They come out of it realizing and appreciating every moment. But seriously, like, I've never let that go. I'm 44 now, and if I go through a day without sort of doing something new or recognizing it or acknowledging it or making the most of it, then I'm like, you know, then that's rare for me. And it's also, you know, I was going to be a business manager with a hotel chain, you know, and who knows where that life would have gone. But as a result of breaking my back, I was like, you know what, that's, that's not my path. I'm following that because that's what my parents want me to do. And I chose a career that then took me into the outdoors because that's where I come alive and that's where I get most of my passion and inspiration from. So I think that sometimes, you know, these really awful things that can happen can actually just be that little rock that's in the cart but that like knocks the cart in a different direction I know horse and cart like haven't been around for a long time but I think everyone, everyone could get my reference on that right yeah 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 I understand that one um I'll, I'll put a picture of that up for people that don't <laughs> the old horse and cart hey <laughs> it's a it's a slow change of direction eh? it's not a quick sort of ferrari speed one but as long as it gets you there kai i mean once you decided hey actually business management isn't isn't for me where did you go like how did you start your career off 
Uh, well, I finished my business management degree because, you know what, education is always important. So quite often I speak with kids today and they, like I do a lot of mentoring, a lot of kids programs and things and, and you know, the kids are like, well, I want to be a photographer and I'm like, that's great but you need to have an education as well. You know, like the bottom line is even if you never use it, it's good to finish even just your high school education and have that as a back to be able to educate yourself in the future it just gives you option and choices even if you never ever use it so my dad always says yeah this is what a private school education gets you when I'm falling downstairs you know he always makes a joke about it but without my business management degree I wouldn't have been able to manage myself as a business as I'm going through life so I finished that and then an outdoor company needed a business management plan done for them. So I worked for that company for six months for free and they trained me to be a rock climbing, kayaking, sailing and hiking instructor in return. And I ended up working with them, running their team building and leadership programs in the outdoors, sort of with businesses and juvenile offenders and general public and school kids. So that was sort of my, you know, going from I never want to be inside to, wow, I'm never inside. I hit the market at the right time there. There were no female outdoor instructors really in South Australia. It was like two of us. They just put in a law saying that if there was a female on an outdoor course, there had to be a female instructor there. So I worked nonstop like six years in that industry and barely slept that inside that whole time. So that was sort of where that trajectory took me. And, and it was wonderful. Like I love being outdoors. It's where I come alive. Um, Eventually, I decided I perhaps wanted to spend a few more days inside in than outside, and on more nights actually, just maybe in a bed. (laughs) (laughs) And and I was on a school camp, and I was tumbling down a sand dune playing some gladiator game that I made up. And this kid just turned me on the school camp and said, "You should be a stunt woman." And that was it. That was the moment. I I must have been feeling discontent in an outdoor guide in that moment but I wanted a career that was still physically active and that would be different every day and that would completely challenge me and my body to its absolute maximum and, and you know I, I thought that sounded like an interesting career. Little did I know what it what it involved like uh, I had no idea it actually hurt <laughs> I had no idea that, that you could break things and I'm like wow surely it's all just smoke and mirrors and <laughs> but no you know it's a real real thing and so my sister was living in Vancouver at the time and I knew there were a lot of productions being filmed in Vancouver, it's sort of being called Hollywood North and so I hacked everything up and headed to Vancouver. Simple as that, really. Nice. And then, I mean, how do you go about getting into the stunt industry? Is it you just show up and show them that you can, you can do some interesting stuff or do you kind of have to do some training or...? Yeah, so, you know, again, I knew nothing. I thought, yeah, I'll just do all the rock climbing stunts that are in movies. I've worked 16 years in the stunt industry and I've done one ab sailing, um, one ab sailing or rappelling stunt in that whole time. You know, I thought that would be my main, main thing. That would be what I'd be doing all the time. But apparently there's not a big call for that. So I had no transferable skills and I had... <laughs> You know, I was jacked because I was a climber, so muscles on my muscles. So I was told that nobody would want me to double them because I was too muscly. And I was told that, um, I was told, you know, at that stage, I think I was 26 or 27, 
And most people are looking to retire from the stunt industry at that age, not get into it. So I had all these roadblocks that people put up for me to say that I'd never be able to do it. And, and I had no clue. I had no clue what being a stunt performer what would be or was. So I just wandered around. I lived in a van by a river and um, wandered around asking anyone that would listen, you know, like, can I, I wasn't a performer. And people would just laugh at me, you know. And I didn't care. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm going to do it. You know, I know I, I know I can do this. I'm sure I can do this. And finally, somebody pointed me to some dude at a bar that I was at and said, that guy there, he's, he's a stunt performer. Like, Why don't you go and ask him? And thank goodness he didn't laugh at me too hard. But he sort of said, all right, if you're serious, this is what you need to do. And he just gave me a list of things that I needed to do. And then... You know, really you have to look at three to five years of training and hanging around in the industry, working your ass off, wanting it more than you've ever wanted anything in your life before you get your first day on set. <laughs> and then, it's you know, it's a really hard, really cutthroat industry and you have to work every day to get your skills up and to, to perform well and you're only as good as your body is. So you've got to keep that healthy and keep that functional. And, you know, I was super, super fortunate in three years of training fighting. So I found myself a mentor who trained me in fighting and falling down and, and wire work, you know, with a harness and some wires that they erase out with computer generation later. Um, so I trained with him, a bunch of weapons. And finally, three years in, I got my first day on set and then never looked back. So, yeah, it was a long road. It was a career that I had to want with every part of my body and soul but it was you know it was worth it in the end it was wonderful yeah it's a I mean it's a massive graft and you sound like you went through some quite uncomfortable situations while you were doing that including living in your van and and getting laughed at all the time and I mean you you mentioned that it's a career you have to want with all your heart and your soul why did you want that I mean some kid on a sand dune in Australia said you'd be good at it but what did it mean to you to be able to go and do that? So there's a few points there. Like, um, so we'll get back to the uncomfortable bit for sure. Mm. I don't know why I wanted it. You know, like I just think that the more people that told me no and that it couldn't happen, the more of a drive I had. Like I first just wandered off going, yeah, that sounds like it'd be pretty fun, huh? You know, and then I got there and then I realized it would be hard work, but I think it's hardwired to accept a challenge. Like once I've said this is what I'm going to do, then the harder it is, the more determined I get. Like, um, and the more people that put obstacles in the way, the, the more I fight to make it happen. That old like, I'll show you mentality, which isn't exactly perhaps healthy, but <laughs> yeah. I just feel like, you know, my big line is don't let others put limitations on you. You know, like, just don't. And the more people that were like, it's not going to happen for you, the more I wanted it. And I quite often look back on my career and wonder if I stayed in it for all the wrong reasons, for those reasons too. You know, I loved doing it and I'm dying to get back into it again if it's at all possible, um, which is an admission I've only made to myself in the last week or so. But, you know, like it, it's an interesting question where you have to ask yourself when the dream becomes the reality, whether the dream is like the dream you had, you know. Because quite often we make the dream out to be something more than it really is. 
And then when you get there, it's not what you thought it was going to be. And then too many of us just stick with it then because we've told everybody and this is our dream and this is, hey, shouldn't this be what, what we wanted because this is what we're getting, what we want, you know? And it's been an interesting thread of thought in my mind about when you get the dream, if it's not what you thought it was, it's okay to walk away from it. It's okay to be like, oh, well, that's not really what I thought it was going to be. And sometimes I wonder if that was me with stunts, but then I look back at how much I loved it and realize it wasn't, you know, like it was better than I hoped it would be, but it was very, very different to what I thought it would be. I don't think I answered your question, but that's around <laughs> that I've been having lately. No, no, no. I mean, I think that's an interesting train of thinking, actually, because, I mean, as you say, like, we have these dreams, we have these kind of goals and aspirations, and we have this sort of mental picture of how they're going to pan out and what they're going to look like. But actually, when we get there, they are often quite different to what we're what we're expecting that they're going to be. I mean, you, a lot of people, you do tell other people around you and the people that you love, you're like, hey, I've got this dream, I've got this goal, I yeah. want to get there and I want to do that. And then once yeah. you're there, you almost, I mean, it, it's great in terms of having that accountability to help you push you along and help you get there and achieve that. But once you reach that and actually kind of spend a bit of time there and start to understand that actually this isn't what I thought it was, you almost have that kind of, you feel that sort of external pressure to stay and keep doing that because you feel obliged to everyone else and to to what you've been telling people. I know. So that was a big question for me for probably the last six years of my stunts was like, you know, I wanted to do stunts for 10 years. I wanted to quit when I was 40 just because it is really hard on the body. So to me, after 10 years, I'd succeeded. And, you know, I, I won the biggest award you can get in the stunt industry, you know, like I won the Oscar of stunt performing and I still felt like I hadn't achieved everything I wanted to achieve, you know, and it was like it's just a really, a really interesting analogy that I'm still working through about life and, you know, and why we stay in certain situations and, and all that sort of stuff, you know, and what is the definition of success to, to each individual? And, I mean, it's a whole kettle of fish that I'm still sort of working through in my own mind. But, um, yeah, it's interesting. But getting back to that being uncomfortable, like when you're talking about that, there was one particular moment that stood out as you were talking. So I was living in my van and, I mean, I was pretty broke. I was living sort of hand-to-mouth, sort of chopping wood for money because, I don't think I was allowed to work in Vancouver yet at that stage. So I was sort of doing some cash work. And so when someone told me about this training with this fight guy, he ran courses on Tuesdays and Thursdays out of this room called the Action Room. Um, It was like an old factory. And he said, come along, you know. And he said, I think it was like 20 bucks a session. And that was a lot for me back then. But I was like, okay, no, I can definitely save 20 bucks and I can go to one of these sessions. And being a climber and an outdoor guide, like I didn't even own a pair of sneakers. So I wore my lightest hiking boots and I had a pair of mountaineering pants and I was like solid. And I turned up to the action room. It was just filled with these people in the later, like, you know, the cars outside, because there's a lot of money in stunts, <laughs> you know, so the cars outside were all like these full flashy sports cars and I turned up in this van that was falling apart, this big old disabled van that I lived in also, so I had my bed in it and, you know, my hiking boots and pants and they were all in the latest Lulus with 
you know, all looking very cute and polished and their nails were all done. And, and these were the stunt women and the stunt guys were all like in the latest clothes as well. And I turned out looking a bit grubby with my, I mean, I'd washed. <laughs> but, I, you know, to walk into the action room that first time was probably one of the most uncomfortable things I've had to do. And everything in me was screaming like, just run away. This is not your crowd. This is not your people. Like, you'll never, ever fit in here. Yet, you know, the want for the dream to come true was greater than the need to sort of run away at that stage. And so I walked in that door and, you know, and started my training there. And, yeah, so that was that was probably one of the more uncomfortable times when I realised the gap between who I was and where I wanted to be was so huge that it was going to take me a lot longer than I thought. Yeah, and, I mean, that's a, that's a really challenging realisation to come to as well, and I think that, that often overwhelms a whole lot of people when they get to that point where they realize oh man this gap is just huge and that's that's when a lot of people do run away and just say no this is this is too hard looking back on yourself then like is there any advice that you would give to yourself at that point in time just to kind of I know you did keep going maybe to to someone else if they're in that situation to actually hey just take the next step keep going One of the things we do is we care a lot more than other people do and we think other people care a lot more than they actually do. So one of the reasons we don't do it is because we think everyone's looking at us and everyone's laughing at us, but chances are they're not. You know, chances are that the people that are there are actually going, wow, you know, it takes way more courage for that person to come to class than it does for me to come to class. And there's actually an admiration in that. So that would be my biggest bit of advice is, is, you know, people aren't judging us as much as we think that they're judging us. So just do what you need to do and to achieve your goal and dream and don't worry about looking stupid. Like that's the biggest, biggest thing too is like people get scared of looking silly. And to me, I would rather look silly for a moment and achieve great things than never look silly and never achieve anything. Everybody's in the same boat. Nobody just picks up a new skill looking smooth and suave with it. No one walks into a room and is instantly an amazing kickboxer. It just doesn't happen. Like there is always a moment in everybody's lives where they're a learner and they're a beginner. And that feels uncomfortable for us. So we avoid that that feeling of looking silly in front of people and then we never learn anything new. So I don't know. I have this theory that it's this want versus a need thing. So many people want to be something different to what they are, but they don't want it badly enough to create the change. But it's like this seesaw. When the want to sort of stay who you are outweighs the need to be something different, like you will change. You will make the changes. It doesn't matter who sees you and who's around you and what you need to do, you will make those changes because you don't want to stay that same person anymore. Like it just the want becomes way greater than the embarrassment or the, the need to stay the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that theory, actually. I mean, how do you go about cultivating that want and building it up? Or is it well, just something that just happens for you? I guess you have to want it. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. there is stuff that I don't want, you know. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm the first to admit I'm not an amazing mathematical genius, you know. 
I don't want to know long division if I don't need to know long division. I don't want to know why a plane flies. I don't need to know that stuff, you know. So those things don't interest me. But, and there are some things where I go, yeah, geez, it would be really good to be able to do that, but I don't want it badly enough to make the changes that I have to make. But recently, like I've always wanted to bow hunt and – I've sat there going, geez, it'd be good. It'd be good to know how to bow hunt. Wouldn't it be nice to know how to bow hunt? And then suddenly one day the want to bow hunt became so strong that I did something about it. And I bought a bow and I bought targets and I bought arrows and I learned, you know, because the want just suddenly became important enough to make the changes. And it's a recognition of the fact that in order to get good at something, you have to be bad at it first. So... I've just gotten really good at being okay with sucking, honestly. <laughs> that's, that's probably a really key point. <laughs> All right, here we go again. We're going to be bad at something. But that's really, really important with physical recovery too. Like just recently I tore my hamstring completely off and I had it screwed back on again. I've got four nice screws in my butt bone. But I was back to that 19-year-old that was back – to, I mean, I was in a wheelchair for three months with this injury, which, again, was a stupid thing to do, but that's what, why I was told had to happen at the time. But, you know, like you're back to square one. You're back to that person who's learning a new skill. You're back to wiggling my toes up and down in the air for three months because that's all I could do. But you have to recognize that you're going to suck at first. You know, my fitness is going to be terrible when I get out of that wheelchair. When I'm learning to juggle, I'm going to drop a million balls. If I'm learning to shoot arrows, I'm going to miss the target a million times. But it's being okay with that and, and knowing that that's a step to getting better. Like you won't always miss the target a million times. You'll eventually be hitting bullseyes. You won't always be moving my toes up and down. Eventually I'll run again, you know. So it's that acknowledgement that it's okay to suck. Like we're so often so hard on ourselves that we want to be amazing at something instantly and that's just not what happens. It's just not the case. Yeah, as you say, it's about just cultivating that beginner's mindset that, hey, actually it's it's okay that I'm just starting out, I'm just learning. And, and I think it's a good mindset to kind of try and cultivate along the way because even if after you put in a whole lot of time and you've got better, there's still new stuff that you can learn as well. And if you can kind of keep that, it's okay to suck while I'm while I'm doing this stuff. I mean, I might be teaching a whole lot of other people how to do some stuff that I already know, but there's always something more. There's always something new to learn that I'm going to suck at. Yeah, and find it amusing if you have to. You know, like I've been in classes where you've got five-year-olds that are throwing better kicks than me, and I think it's hilarious. I'm <laughs> just like... <laughs> Like, yeah, I could give up and go home because I'm 44 and they're five. Or I can just find it hilarious and, you know, and think, well, look, at least I'm, you know, maybe one big as good as that five-year-old. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is this pre- or post-hamstring surgery? <laughs> it's probably right now, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, good, good. Kai, one, one other thing that I want to have a bit of a talk about as well before we wrap things up is survival for you. Yes. A survival expert with kind of endorsements from Bear Grylls and and the like, and you've done a whole lot of interesting survival-based stuff as well. Is that something that you were doing kind of alongside your stunt performing? And if so, uh, I mean, how did you kind of juggle those two together? Yeah, no, I didn't. I did the outdoor stuff, which was sort of the survival-based stuff in the beginning, but stunts didn't allow for anything but a full focus on 
stunts, you know. So mm. basically probably for 10 out of the 16 years I did stunts, everything I did was solely focused on moving that career forward. But then when I started to realise that stunts was going to have a use-by date, I started looking back at my survival stuff and getting into more and more extreme stuff. You know, Hollywood was very uncomfortable mentally for me, but very comfortable sort of physically for me. So I got to the stage where I realised I hadn't been outdoors and I hadn't challenged myself out there. Like survival is the ultimate, continually making yourself uncomfortable in order to learn and grow and adapt and and have a thrill of an adventure out there. So the last probably six years I did them side by side. I sort of had achieved enough in stunts that I could coast along and still get work. And then I started focusing more on getting back outdoors and having some big adventures. Like I walked across the Sierra Nevadas 100 miles, I think it was, with just a pocket knife and lived off the Landstat. That was my first big challenge. And then Discovery found out about that and they were having a survival show with a new concept that was coming out. <laughs> and um, they, it was the most extreme survival show they were ever going to put on television. And it was called Naked and Afraid. They called me up and pitched that to me and I said, no, thank you very much. That sounds dreadful. <laughs> because I am not a nudist <laughs> and I do not want people seeing my butt on Nash television. But then they said, listen to us, this is going to be the most extreme challenge anyone's ever faced on television and I, that was the key words for me, of course. And I realised that if I did this challenge 21 days in the middle of nowhere with someone you don't even know, with no clothes, only one item that you can bring, one survival item, um, I knew if I succeeded in that then I would never doubt I had the survival, you know, had the survival skills that it would take for any situation and, and then nobody else could have a doubt that either. So off I went and <laughs> the rest is history. I did the first, one of the first seasons of Naked and Afraid. Um, dumped in the Louisiana Swamplands, which was the single most hellish and had to spend 21 days naked there with someone I just met. And I mean that's that's got to be brutal for you physically, but probably a whole lot more brutal mentally as well. And I mean I have heard you talk a little bit about that before, and the the person you that you were with kind of struggled to cope, and you kind of had to kind of keep talking to them to sort of get them through and and keep them on board with you. How did you kind of keep yourself mentally tough during that time? Was it your mental stubbornness, or were there other things that you were doing as well just to kind of get to the end well um it was interesting because i'd already written my book my book skills on survival guide and in that there are four different mental attitudes that i use that i talk about survival attitudes you can use for everyday life and i'd written the book already and then i just sort of sat in the swamp and realized that i do all of those things just as part of who i am they're just so ingrained to be my reflex go-to so they are like be positive, be prepared, be adaptable and educate yourself. And I always talk about being positive as, as a muscle that you flex. If you flex it enough, it will become your go-to. But quite often we just relax into this state of, like especially sort of Australia's background, you know, like you're always like, oh, it's sunny today. Yeah, but it's probably going to rain tomorrow. You know, <laughs> And I think we think it's funny, but what it does is it just perpetuates this attitude of you're always looking for the catch or the negative or the like you know you want to bond with someone so instead of bonding going hey this is really great right you go oh you know I'm a bit tired so it's just this go-to to see that being positive is actually just my go-to and in 
every situation where it is just so crappy. I was able to find something about it. Like there's this classic scene where they've just told us we're going to be in the swamp and it's so awful. And the, and the bit where they told us we have to camp is just this patch of mud in the swamp. And, and I'm like, well, at least the sun's shining. <laughs> and I even have to laugh at myself because I'm like, oh, God, that was reaching. But, yeah, so that sort of is being positive, knowing there's things that you can't change, so why bother complaining about it? Like, that's a really big one. Like, sure, you know, like, if there's something you can change, it's okay to be like, well, this really sucks, but I can make it better. But if it's something you can't change, like I couldn't change the fact we had no food out there. So why am I going to sit out there being like, I wish we had food. That would be good if we had food, you know. Like it just doesn't change anything. So it's that whole serenity prayer, you know. Change the things you can, forget about the things you can't and, you know, have the wisdom to know the difference. So that was sort of a really really big mindset for me out there. Very cool. Kai, what survival stuff are you doing at the moment? My goal basically is to try and get a – survival show on television with a strong female role model so I have a few shows out and about that companies are looking at and networks are looking at and um, I so I'm doing a bit with that going to team up with an environmental scientist and do a few sort of survival one-on-one videos you know there's a lot of Australians that head out into the bush and there's a lot of misinformation about what to do in certain situations so we're going to do a few little videos on, you know, if you head out camping and something goes wrong, you know, here's some things you could do about it. So focused on that. And then I'm always learning. Like that's a cool thing about survival. And it, it's about life too, but there's never-ending stuff to learn. There's always something new to learn. So I'm going to work with a, a guy who owns his own survival company up in Darwin and just sort of I'm really keen to learn a little bit more about the plants and animals up in that region and what you can eat and what you can't eat and what you can use up there. So, you know, that, that's the cool thing about survival. Like I don't need to step out of my passion to constantly challenge myself because there's always something new I can be learning and always somebody who knows more than me in a certain area. It's, it's a wonderful passion to have. Yeah, it is. And I think, I mean, they're, they're the best kind of passions as well are, are the ones that just uh, sort of allow you to keep developing things as well. Um, Kai, one thing that I'm interested in as well is, I mean, you, you mentioned the point about a strong female role model as well. And I think, I mean, as a society, we need to shine a light more on, on the awesome women who are strong female role models. I mean, how do you try and bring that across in the work that you do? Well, so I started thinking about this when my niece said to me that her goal in life was to become Paris Hilton's BFF. And I started looking at the role models that were on television. And in the world of fiction, we're okay with strong female leads. You know, it's okay if it's a story. We're okay with Lara Croft. We're okay with Wonder Woman. But in reality TV, the role models are quite often your Kim Kardashians and Paris Hiltons and, and the ones that are displaying sort of female traits that I wouldn't want my nieces to be emulating. Um, you know, it's kind of bitchy, it's dramatic, it's very material-oriented, you know, it doesn't seem to have a lot of substance to it. And if they do portray it, a str- I mean, it's changing for sure, but if they did portray a female role model, she was butch and masculine and everybody would say, well, of course it, of course, she could do it because she's built like a man or she's like a man, you know. My philosophy is you can be incredibly feminine yet 
powerful and strong at the same time. And most people say, well, of course. But it's not, of course, you know. There's this thing where even as a female, in a very masculine environment that I've been most, like my entire careers have been in male-dominated industries, it's, it's very hard to still stay feminine and do a strong job. So I've just held on to my femininity as much as I can. Like, please open the door for me, carry my bags. You know? <laughs> like, I don't, I'm not a person that's like, no, I can do it. I can't believe you think I couldn't do it because I'm female. I'm like, men need to be men and, and women need to allow men to be men and yet we can be strong and comfortable within being a female as well. Um, and so I think that I do it by by just modelling the types of behaviour that I think that emulates. You know, like I'm the dorkiest of dorks, so I'm I'm like, you know, I'm a goofball. I'll I'll be like just goofing around, yet I'll also be able to shoot a bow and arrow and do a kick-ass fight sequence. So I think the way I do it is just by mixing it up and showing everybody that they just need to be. 100% true to them and what feels right for them and it's okay to be strong and it's okay to be feminine, it's okay to be goofy, it's okay to be a nerd, it's okay to be it's okay to be tough, tough if that's the way you want to be, you know, like just be unashamedly you and embrace all those things about you but don't try to be what you think, you know, what you think society thinks a strong female is or anything along those lines. Like I just think, yeah, I think it's turning I used to talk about this stuff and everyone would look at me like I had three heads, but now I think it's turning and people are like, oh, yeah, you know, women can be strong without being a bitch and they can be feminine without being weak, you know. I mean, these things, we, we used to feel like it didn't happen, but now at least there's an acceptance of it coming in. Mm, yeah, that's a, that's a really good answer. Kai, just want to finish off with a few questions that I ask everybody. The first one is, what was the last uncomfortable thing that you did and how did you get through it? Well, I'm doing this, um, these ice swims every morning at the moment. So I am experimenting with sort of cold therapy as a way to get rid of inflammation and work on mood stuff. And I did an extreme survival challenge just recently. So, you know, on the female body, especially at my age, the hormones just go completely out of whack from from deprivation and so I'm investigating whether cold therapy helps with that and so the last uncomfortable thing I did was it was like there was ice on the boardwalk this morning and I love getting up and I do my yoga and I do some breathing that's meant to sort of heat the body up and then I get in the ocean so in where I'm living there is no there's nothing between the arctic and no, the Antarctic and my shore, my beach. So I don't know how cold the water is, but outside it was like about two degrees when I went for my swim this morning as the sun came up and I stay in the water in bikini for five minutes. I tell you, it is so uncomfortable. It sounds refreshing. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, you just freeze. I couldn't even feel my feet by the time I got up back up to my house. But the way I get through it is I know that afterwards I'm going to feel amazing. So I do that with a lot of things I know are going to be uncomfortable. I know that it's going to be better for me once it's done. 
So if I need to have a tooth pulled, like why would I put up with a toothache? It's going to be better when it's done. Yes, it's uncomfortable in the moment. Yes, it's going to hurt for a few days, but afterwards it's going to be better. So anything I'm reluctant to do that's going to make me uncomfortable, but I know is for my greater good, I just put myself in the after moment and just know that once it's done, you know, like once I've done my five minutes, I feel like I'm alive, like an, a jolt of electricity. So Yes, it's uncomfortable, but God, I know that afterwards it's going to feel so good that I get myself through it, I think, by projecting into the future. Yeah, that's cool. I, what Someone once said to me, no one ever regretted going for a swim. So I, I tell myself that sometimes as well. I always say I'm never going to feel bad after yoga. You know, like if yeah, I want to do yeah. my yoga, it's like, God, nobody ever feels bad after yoga. Yeah, yeah that's, that's true. Kai, what's the next uncomfortable thing that you're going to do and why is that uncomfortable for you? I guess the next uncomfortable thing is heading up to Brisbane to work with this environmental scientist because as much of an outgoing personality as I am, I'm one of those introverted extroverts, you know, so I can pretend to be extroverted for a while, but my my go-to place is on my own. So I'm usually presenting on my own and working on my own and, and to go up and actually interact with people that I don't know and and work together with them to um, aim for a common goal is something that that I'm still, like, I, I know that it's good for me and I've done it before. It's just a matter of it will be uncomfortable for me. And then straight after that, I'm going to work with someone I don't know in the survival field. And I always get a little uncomfortable about whether I have the skills that's going to garner respect and, and how he's going to feel about the things I don't know as far as, you know, I will be showing what I don't know. And that gets really uncomfortable for me because I'm a person that prefers to know everything. So... Both of those things are going to be uncomfortable for me, but I know that it's going to be for the best and I'm going to learn so much out of doing both of them. So, Yeah, awesome. And um, I'm sure you'll just go through with amazingly well too. <laughs> Kai, I mean, we've talked about it quite a lot already, but do you have any other strategies that you use when you're approaching uncomfortable situations? I guess the one that just came to mind is like people often think they fail if they don't succeed at something and I never think you've failed if you try. So, you know, I get in that water and want to stay for five minutes but only stay in for one, but you know what? I tried. So I think that too often people see failure as a bad thing, but failure is just showing you what not to do next time. It's actually like a really cool learning lesson. So that's what I look at. Like I'm, I'm never scared to fail. I'm just scared of not trying. Yeah, that's a fantastic strategy. Kai, I've got a couple quick questions left for you, but I just want to say thank you so much for spending a little bit of time to talk to me today, but also thank you as well for being a role model for young women, but also for for everyone and just kind of living life true to the values that you have for yourself as well. Thank you. I'm just super impressed with this idea that you're spreading with the podcast as well you know and I it's one that's been playing on my mind a lot lately and I think it's a theme that is very important now and um, more than ever because we are in a state of such comfort with everything we can control and I think that that more and more people are going to realize that the way forward is to find those things that make them uncomfortable to learn and grow and I think you're just ahead of your time with what you're the message you're spreading out here well thank you I, I really appreciate that Kai, if people interested in learning from you or kind of want to want to follow along with the stuff that you're doing, how can they do that? Where should they go? Yeah, on all social media, I'm just Kai Freneau. So that's K-Y and then F-U-R-N-E-A-U-X. And, you know, please hit me up, 
send me a message. I know, I know I took a second to get back to you, but I was just super busy. I always appreciate that people ask, you know, I'm always going to take the time. If you, if you want a cheerleader, if you want advice, if you want someone to tell you, you can do it when you think no one else is going to tell you, you can do it, please feel free anytime. Hit me up on any of my social medias. Tell me a story. I'd love to hear it. And, you know, I'd love to help in any way if I can, because I've got a huge universal debt of amazing people that did amazing things for me when I was learning. And, you know, I, I know sometimes it can be intimidating to reach out, but I'm always there if anyone has any questions. So please feel free. And I would say do it. I can definitely vouch for Kai getting back to you and, uh, and having a bit of a chat. Kai, last question for you. Do you have a challenge to leave me and the listeners with this week? Hmm. Yes. Okay. A challenge. I wish I'd thought about this before, but my challenge to you and the listeners this week is to find 15 minutes to walk barefoot in the outdoors. Cool. I don't care how cold it is. I don't care where you are. I don't care what it's doing. I think find a path, take your shoes off and walk along it for 15 minutes just this week. It might be uncomfortable, but just have a feel of the dirt or the grass or the sand on your feet and reconnect with nature and see if it makes you come a little bit more alive at the end of it. Beautiful. That's a, that's a great challenge. Kai, thank you so much for getting uncomfortable with me today. You're welcome. Thank you so much for speaking with me. Well, there you have it, guys. I hope you enjoyed that chat with Kai and myself. I had a lot of fun. There was a little bit of a change in the audio partway through. We went back and re-recorded a little bit just because there were a few crackles in there. So hopefully that wasn't too disconcerting for you all. As I said at the start, make sure that you reach out to Kai. She's great to have a chat to. She'll respond to your messages if you're interested or have any questions for her. And as well, as I said at the start, We've got a couple of cool things coming up with Uncomfortable Is Okay and the little Friday episodes are going to document that the process that I'm going through as Uncomfortable Is Okay evolved from a hobby to, to more of a business and, and being able to offer you guys more exciting content and, and stuff that's a little bit more targeted and a little bit more in depth and that's coming up in the next couple of months but in the meantime if you want to get your hands on a document with a few a few strategies that I use a few strategies that my guests use about how to step outside of your comfort zone head over to getoutofmycomfortzone.com uh, and you can download that there couple of thank yous as always to my brother Jeremy Desmond for the amazing theme music for the podcast just yeah just blown away when he came up with this music for me thanks to Jailan for all the editing work that you do on the podcast and help creating the audiograms it's much appreciated mate and you guys thanks so much for tuning in and, and spending a little bit of time with with Kai and myself and I hope it uh it inspires you, but also gives you some practical tips to go out there and get out of your comfort zone. I'll see you guys on Friday with a little bit of an update about how things are tracking in regards to the evolution of Uncomfortable Is Okay. But thank you so much for getting uncomfortable with us today.